Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 189. Um, and I'm joined today by the legendary Don Letts. I was so excited to get this one locked in. I normally give you guys a heads up a week or two before of who the guests are, but because a lot of them, you know, fall through and I get overexcited and announce them and then people are busy. I won't list the people who've been that case, but you know, I've done it before. So I try and hold off. So I didn't want to mention this one until it was in the bag. And then as soon as it was in the bag, I wanted to put it out immediately. So yeah, very excited to talk to Don Letts, who's a true legend of reggae punk film documentary um ism all of that is great so that's been good i need to give big love for all the love that's been going out on the on recent podcast episodes last week's episode with florence Pugh, um amazing a, a reaction what a wonderfully intelligent and articulate 22 year old kids these days eh? and thank you for everyone who voted for her in the ee rising star bafta um and watched Lady Macbeth. I got tons of tweets from people who heard the podcast and went and watched Lady Macbeth on demand um, immediately. And that was cool because that was in my films of the year. And yeah, when I talked about it last year with Chris Fairbanks, um, it wasn't available on demand. So there wasn't that immediate reaction. So that was cool. I'm rambling. Um, That's the norm. This week's podcast is brought to you by Distraction what? No, speech development. <laughs> I say it every week and I've forgotten it. Speech development com. We've got some new merch on its way there. Um, it's super exciting. Oh, God, I want to announce it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to hold off until it's available. Um, I might have snuck a certain item that's sold out three times last year. I might have snuck that back into the web store and not announced it or mentioned it or put it on the front page because. It sells out quickly, and I've I've ordered them in to go w- with the new item that we're launching soon. But I thought I'll sneak them up secretly, cryptic, right? Yeah. Anyway, on to this week's episode. Is there anything else I need to tell you? Oh, it, it's, I mean, it's Don Letts, and I've had him at the club night a few times. The last club night, which was another sold out, we are lizards. He was there f- for that. The next one's actually at the end of March, and we've got block party DJ set. Um, so check that out. That's at the book club as ever. This is with Don Letts, and we talk about reggae in Britain and punk in Britain. Um, I should mention now, I've just said that I don't normally hype ones, but I'm going to be recording one with my Uncle Pat. And that might sound weird, but Pat's amazing. And although my family have never been particularly musical, Pat has always been the musical influence because he was the first ever UK label manager of Trojan Records which is a massive deal, and he had his own reggae imprints, and he had a radio show, um, and all sorts of stuff. He had, his, As I said, he had his own, own, own reggae label. So it meant that music was in my, my world from an early age. And he's got amazing stories of time he spent with Lee Scratch Perry, and with just all sorts of stuff. With I mean, there's a new tr- tr- Trojan book coming out because of the 50th anniversary. And from what I've been led to believe, there's essentially a whole chapter on Pat. So I'm going to try and tie it in with that coming out. And as much as anything, it's pretty beautiful to think about. I get to go and do this weird little thing that I do this podcast with my Uncle Pat. <laughs> that's mad that I've got this thing that's an audience and I'm a grown-up now. And I've got people who listen and stuff. And I get to go and sit down with Uncle Pat. Anyway, that's Patrick Meads. Or as he, he went by for some time, Pat 
Patrick T. Rogan, I believe, because that's after he'd left Trojan Records and they tried to sue him for, uh, <laughs> for using their name, essentially. Anyway, more on that in the coming weeks. Oh, what other podcast have I got? Oh, I've got a wicked one I'm recording soon that might actually be next week. So I'm recording two the week that you hear this that might might be next week's one's with is with Greta Gerwig who's currently Oscar nominated for directing Lady Bird which is absolutely fantastic I saw it right at the end no beginning of this year blew me away Um, and one is with Rutger Bregman who's I guess a philosopher and economist um, and a writer and he's written this amazing book called utopia for realists and how and how to achieve it or how to get there and i've almost finished it i've read the first there's 10 chapters and i'm halfway through the ninth so i'm loving that it's absolutely amazing honestly i can't can't wait to talk to this dude because he's genuinely got some amazing solutions for how we can sort the the, the mess of a world are we living out and they're not kind of crazy pie in the sky ideas they're realistic no this is here how we do it and we literally can rather than is often the norm of oh everything's fucked there's nothing we can do about it so yeah that's cool yeah i've got tons on the way i'm lining up podcasts left right and center mate so that's exciting anyway i'll let this podcast start i'll be back at the end with a bit of chat for you um is there anything else i need to tell you about or plug i don't think so check out they have a podcast on the network hardcore listing have been killing it lately with some great top fives um definitely worth a a listen Uh, i really enjoyed the recent one with the drummer from nick hodgson the drummer from kaiser chiefs really good one it was his he chose his top five films about bands slash music it was really good but the best thing was the story he had about Pugwall. And I used to love Pugwall. That was a TV show I adored. Um, go and listen to that hardcore listing because it's got a hell of a Pugwall story that blew my mind. Um, anyway, on with the podcast. I'll see you in a bit. This is episode 189 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the one and only Don Letts. It's what I like about these. I've st- I've started recording, but yeah, it's what I like about these is trying to. I try and get them when people aren't on a promotion run because then we just talk for the sake of talking. And the fact that is, sounds scary to me. That yeah, it is. It's terrifying. That's isn't scary it? scary as shit to me. Everyone who lives their lives, it's just their life. There's nothing interesting about it. It's your life. It's your job. But to other people, it's 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 fascinating, and that's that's what I like about it. It's not people not having to have in their head. Here's what I have to tell them to make them go and uh, watch this film, read this book, uh, listen to this record. It's going, well, if I just talk and we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm old enough to kind of appreciate the fact that anybody gives a shit in the first place, man. So I ain't going to knock it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's beautiful. I'll take it. So I'm, I'm, I'm I'm here with Don Letts and we're in your, in your amazing man cave. It's, it's a beautiful space, a nice studio space. And yeah, it's very tranquil and peaceful. Is this a key part of, of your life at at this point in your life? Oh, this is where the magic happens, my friend. Damn right. This is the think tank. This is where the music gets played, the herb gets burnt, 
and uh, I can stay away from the family and yeah. be creative. Yeah. Every man needs a man cave, as does every woman yeah. needs a woman cave. You've got to do that shit now, right, these days. I completely You can't agree, just be man. like... <laughs> it says weird times, you know what I mean? Yeah. But anyway. And again, it's, it's... Everybody needs their own space. Yeah. People I, kind. I agree. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's a case of finding the space to create and to have that freedom. When you're in your youth you've got that space on on a bus or in a hangover or whatever else but when you're kind of grown up and a, a functioning part of society or indeed a family it's important to have them escapes right yeah, to, no, the to find tide that creativity. Of daily life and the daily hustle kind of necessitate something where you can pull away from it all yeah and uh yeah wipe the slate clean and start thinking yeah yeah, yeah completely and so one of the things that that when i was preparing this is i I wanted to start with the question, like, I've had you at the club night a few times, always an absolute pleasure, and we'll talk about that in a bit as well, but one of the questions that people seem to ask with you is, what is it, or or, or what does Don Let's do? And the reason that's a great question and not an insult is because the reason it's there is because you've done so, so many things and you've had your kind of hand in so many pies, and I think it goes to that adage of, how you do anything is how you do everything. So the fact that you've got a certain way of doing one thing has allowed you to jump into many areas. So how do you see yourself? Me? I'm kind of like Popeye. I am what I am. You know what I mean? Um, But I don't see them as all separate things. I see them as part of the one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's not that difficult for me. I mean, I think it's funny in the 21st century, the key for to success for a lot of creative people is diversity. Yeah. And I've always done that. Yeah. And I enjoy the different bits that I diversify in. But yeah. ultimately, I see them as one thing. They're all variations of sound and vision. Yeah, yeah, completely. And and, 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 all, and all entrenched in in music and in a scene. And I guess that comes from, from growing up you know, in, in, in London in the in the 60s and 70s, right? I'm as old as rock and roll, Bridgerton. So yeah. I'm of the vinyl generation. I got this kind of analogue attitude and grew up on, you know, we were listening to music that helped you to be all you could be. It wasn't just about selling your shit. Yeah. You know, it was about changing your mind, not your sneakers kind of thing. Completely, you know what I mean? Completely. And um, it's There's funny. It's not, that's the filmmaker in me. I just pause. You pause because of the train. It's yeah, like, it's fine. You know, that, <laughs> This is all, all rough and ready. This is the world of podcasting. <laughs> but I think everything that I am has come from music, without a doubt. I mean, I think people forget that it has that potential to be a tool for social and personal change. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I went, the first band I ever saw live was The Who. Yeah, I was wow. 14 years old. Oh, man. And uh, I'm at school and this rumour goes around at school, there's some band going to be playing at the at the Young Vic, it was. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, rock and roll's caught my ear. I'm 14 years old. And I thought, okay, I'll go and see who, who this band is. Go in my school uniform. It's the goddamn who. Wow. Doing what you call a full production rehearsal. In other words, what they do is if they went out on tour. Yeah. So we're talking the lasers and the dry ice and Townsend doing the windmill. And I was like 15 feet from the stage, man. I could see the whites of Keith Moon's eyes. Wow. And it was a life-changing moment because... In that very instant, I knew, I didn't want to be necessarily be a musician or a performer, but I knew I wanted to be part of that world. Yeah. And uh, next day, went back to school, said, fuck all my exams, yeah. and uh, threw my hand in with music. Amazing. 
And, um, 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 and, and it's been a rocky road, I've got to tell you. I still can't play anything, got to say. I mean, everybody. that's one of the things I was making note of last night, and I was finding the the, the, the best way to word it, because you've always been entrenched in music, but not necessarily as, as, as the leading musician of it. But it made me think of something that I think... Now, to say in any way that Miles Davis doesn't get credit is ludicrous because he's Miles Davis but one of the things that gets overlooked a lot is his ability to put the right people in the right room at the right time and create the right mood and that's one of the things I associate with you you as well so much of your musical uh, moments and times with Mick Jones and Big Audio Dynamite and all sorts of other things has been being around the right people and getting that scene and, and, and creating that that atmosphere and mood yeah but I think what I've brought to the mix really is not having a musical background. Yeah. You know what I mean? So my ideas come from somewhere else. I mean, you know, when we were doing the big audio dynamite thing and, you know, we've got the Jamaican bass lines, the New York beats, mixed rock and roll thing. I can't play anything. What the hell am I going to do? Yeah. I start stealing from the media, yeah. you know, from movie clips and uh, uh, dialogues and samples and things like that. And uh, that became part of the band's identity, this kind of sampling and dialogue yeah. thing. But I couldn't really justify my space by just nicking shit. Yeah. So I evolved with Mick's help into writing lyrics. Right. And I ended yeah. up co-writing fifty percent of the shit with Mick. Yeah. You know, and the first song I ever wrote lyrically was uh, equals MC squared. Yeah. 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 But there's a lot to be said for not having all that formal training. I mean, you know, rock and roll came out of mistakes, man. Yeah. You know. Yeah, completely. I mean, I, I couldn't relate m- m- more. It's weird that people see me as or, or 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 when describing or what i do or what i've got oh he's a musician it's like i'm i tried playing guitar and bass i was, ru- I was rubbish at it i'm i'm a lyricist and a vocalist and again i'm not like this amazing singer or anything so it was exactly that but it ain't about the career in music. it's about the ideas yeah you know completely. i mean that's how punk rock happened that's how reggae happened reggae happened because the brothers couldn't do all the fancy eric clapton stuff yeah. they could hold, hold down a chord and skank yeah. you know same on a keyboard they could hold down a Accord and transpose it. Yeah. But they made what people would see as a problem an asset. And that's yeah. punk rock. Completely. You know. I always I loved Ian McKay um, with Discord Records uh, when he would say, I'd rather hear four guys who have an idea but haven't got the, but uh, uh, an idea bursting out of them because they haven't got the technical ability to get it out exactly how they want than four guys who can do anything they want and just fiddle away. A good idea attempted yeah. is better than a bad idea perfected. Yeah, and 100%. in the twenty first century, there's a shitload of them. I tell you. <laughs> yeah, and they've really perfected <laughs> the bad idea thing. So, I mean, let's rewind back when when you were growing up in London in in the sixties and seventies. How was it as a as, as a man of, of dread? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm what you call first generation British born black, right? Yeah, and that kind of rolls off the tongue now, doesn't it? Yeah, sounds yeah. easy to say, but. Back in the 60s, early 70s, confusing concept. Trust me. Yeah, completely. Um, you know, we were kind of looking to America, but we weren't American. And, our, you know, where this whole social thing developed was very different. You know, yeah. um, we obviously looked to Jamaica because we were of Jamaica, but we weren't Jamaican. And it took a long time for that sort of black and British thing to actually mean something. It's a strange you know, conflict, isn't um, it? Because you're not either as no, such you don't feel british this, and you, you don't feel jamaican exactly and i tell you what for me it didn't really all come together until things like soul to soul came on the scene yeah, yeah you know where we were being influenced by these other things but we found our own way of moving forward and having an identity yeah yeah it's i mean it's it's an amazing and important time but 
again, it's going to be a conflicted one. My dad uh, grew up, or my family, all all from South London, and and my granddad worked in a pickle factory, which meant that my dad grew up around a lot of the black families because a lot of the black families w- w- worked in factories the same as the working yep. class white. And that, although my dad was a skinhead, which has got very... We're talking about the fashion version, not the fascist version here, folks. That's it, the fashion, not the fascist version. But that was it. That was the beauty of... He was one of the first generations to grow up as a white British person surrounded by black people and and, and a variation of of cultures and size. And for him and his family, it was an amazing thing, as as I mentioned at the club night. I think that that was the beauty of culture back then. It was this thing that, you know, we kind of... It helped bring people together. And it was by understanding our differences, not by us all trying to be the same. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? A testament yeah. to the power of culture, man, you know. And, and that, I think that's absolutely key there, that it's not just understanding, reveling in the differences and enjoying the differences, rather than thinking, oh, we all need to, and integration's a, a loaded word, oh, we all need to integrate and make one thing that we've agreed on. No, we can all have our unique identities and, and live together and share them and, and be part of that. I loved... Only last year I had a walk through a section of, of New York and it was literally a 40-minute walk and I started, and I've, I've said this on the podcast before, I felt like I was in a, a NARS video, then literally crossed over a road and it was all Hasidic Jew, really kind of, really like a Matashahu video. And then literally 20 minutes later, it was like a, a Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's video. It was all white hipsters. And no, it's, it's funny that I, you... I love that variation that they're all so close, but also different and there didn't seem to be conflict in that there wasn't any conflict but i tell you there's not a lot of creative overlap either in that which is different to the way that we've developed socially in england i mean the truth of the matter is we didn't go through a civil rights movement yeah and that had a lot of impact you know we didn't have people chasing us on horses with white hoods Yeah. yeah and we went we came to this country with the whole promise of multiculturalism and that was a kind of a mixed blessing i've got to say because the Mm -hmm. truth of the matter is for many years that meant forgetting you were black and trying to play the white man yeah you know which obviously wasn't working and didn't work for my parents and would end up manifesting in itself in things like the notting hill riots for instance yeah, that course. was what that was about yeah you know you know struggling with this duality of being black and british trying to get some respect from our hosts and also trying to find our own feet i mean truth of the matter is in the early 70s we were like a lost tribe running around like headless chickens dread yeah I tell you yeah yeah, you know? yeah and it was only through them power of music and reggae particularly for us yeah that we began to find some kind of um yeah place where we could stand up and be firm yeah like a tree so, so but roots that, but again that, and branches it, it, it must have been an amazing yet odd thing because that was that was the time when reggae was 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 finding its 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 feet over in the u in in the uk well it was so, fine. what happened is reggae had become very politicized in jamaica it moved on yeah. from the whole trojan thing yeah and uh the messages of like Kingston, Jamaica kind of translated perfectly to the streets of London. Yeah. You know, chant down Babylon and things like that. Yeah. And uh, I've lost my train of thought. You can edit this out. Yeah. Or again, there yeah. is that unity in, 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 in what was going on in the UK with people feeling more politicised well, than ever. The say, working classes and immigrants kind of you got at loggerheads and also in unison. Yeah. I mean, I think what we were missing here is painting a portrait of what the 70s was like. Yeah. And, you know, particularly the mid to, mid to late 70s, we're t- talking about time of social crisis, you know, economic, political and racial as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. So the music gave us strength to kind of deal with all this shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
And my white mates weren't so lucky. The soundtrack at the time was kind of somewhat removed from what was going on in the streets. Yeah. And that's why punk rock happened. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm a great believer that every generation needs its own soundtrack. Yeah. And in the late 70s, my white mates never had one. Yeah. And they set about creating one. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and boom, punk rock. And that's what's fascinating. And it's one of the reasons, obviously, we talk and, and, and I, I, I like to think of us as, as mates. But I've been hugely excited about this podcast because... The first music I fell in love with was punk rock. And as a teen, I started to watch documentaries. And that's where I came across Don Letts and hearing of you playing or DJing at punk gigs. And, and from my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong. In, in one documentary, it was kind of saying Don was bringing reggae to the, the punk scene and, and, and to white people into the white working classes as this thing but from what another documentary I was kind of saying was like well that was partly because there weren't m- many punk records to play it's hard to DJ at a punk gig when it's a, a music that's only just appeared and isn't getting pressed at that point so so what what was the thought there of, of playing mixed truths and a bit of lazy journalism in the way yeah, information yeah, yeah, yeah. this is how it happened punk rock happens it's getting negative press all over the place they got a look a style and a soundtrack, but they've got no place to play. Yeah. So a mate of mine opens this place called The Roxy, yeah. called Andrew Tchaikovsky in the West End. First live punk rock venue in the UK. And he asked me to DJ there because he'd seen the reaction I was getting to the music I was playing in a shop I was running at the time, at the time on the King's Road Chelsea called Acme Attractions, yeah, yeah. which was down the road from Vivian and Malcolm's place, which was called Sex at the time. Yeah. Anyway, I've got more people in my shop because I'm playing the bass line. You yeah. know what I mean? So he asked me to do this DJ, to DJ at the Roxy. Never DJed in my life. Never even thought about it. And as you rightly pointed out, there ain't no punk records to play. No UK ones, for sure. So what am I going to do? Yeah. I'm going to play something that I like. So I'm playing hardcore, bass-heavy reggae. Lucky for me, punks dug it too. Yeah. But here's the thing. People go, oh, Don Letts, punky reggae party, started all this. The reality is... First off, there was a propensity for white working class kids to gravitate towards black music long before Don Letts. Yeah. You know, the mods were listening to Scar and Tamla and all that yeah. stuff. You know, the Beatles, Stones, Led Zeppelin, Kinks. What do you think they were listening to? R&B from America. Yeah, of course. I think the difference with what was going on in the 70s is my white mates were being fascinated with a black music that wasn't removed from their situation. Right. This was music being made by kids that they'd gone to school with, that they're yeah. hanging in the street with. So it's not like some alien exotic sound, man. Yeah. It's something that's going into them intravenously, and they understand it. it's like a second language to them. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah, completely. And that, I think, would be obvious in the punk's music, because all of a sudden you'd hear bands like The Clash or The Slits taking little tips from the reggae, and it wasn't disguised an in interpretation. It's right, you can hear The Clash, uh, you know, the reggae bass lines. You can hear strummers t- talking about... Dillinger and uh, Prince Farai and all this yeah. stuff. And i got to say, that was really empowering for me to see the impact of my culture on my white mates and it not be disguised in interpretation. That's I could it. see, oh, this is coming from me and it's affecting my white brethren. That's exactly it. It was one of the first things I remember of seeing people being happy to wear their influences on their sleeve rather than the, the whole kind of Elvis thing of it being the... The stealing of the of, of the black culture. It's kind of going, no, look, look at what these guys are doing. We, that's influencing us because it's great. And we don't need to hide and pretend that we came up with it ourselves. It's like, no, we love that's right. what's going that, on. That's why, I say, that's why I say it was empowering to me. Yeah. And the truth of this whole punky reggae thing is like, you know, people like 
John Lydon or Rotten as he was known then, Joe Strummer, Paul Simon and a few others, few, they didn't need Don Letts to turn them on to reggae. They were already there. They were already hip to things like Trojan. Yeah. I mean, sure, I had some, you know, unreleased dub plates and pre-releases they'd never heard in their lives, but they were hip to reggae. Yeah. The people I hit to reggae were all the kids that didn't live next to black people in the 70s. Right. And here it is. In yeah. the 70s, that was a lot of fucking people. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you weren't living in Notting Hill, Brixton or Tottenham. Yeah. And I'm talking about London here. Yeah. You know, you didn't really have any interaction with people. So there's the people that come in, come in from the outskirts and the suburbs. They're the ones that I hit to Jamaican music. And it's, I mean, it's an amazing thing there that you think about now how detached we are from our neighbours and communities. But that was a massive thing then. That, like, just the, the people who were already hipped, it was from hearing it from your next-door neighbour playing reggae or from, you know, garden parties or or, or or street parties or whatever else. That's how people were hearing it and getting exposed to it. It wasn't just from on the radio or from the the normal means these days of getting any music across. It's like... It was through living uh, and interacting with your neighbour. Actual human the interaction The man next door. Crazy, right? Who Who would have thought these days, again, that you'd have those influences or that that's how influence would spread well it helped when you didn't have social media getting in the way and you were looking people in the eyes yeah, you know what i mean yeah completely completely so yeah so i mean w- gr- gr- growing up then f- for you b- before you were were running you know the clothing shop and and, and djing how did did music find s- s- such a home in your heart what, come into what my influences? life yeah how did music come into my life well unlike in white culture Music ain't something that the kids do. Yeah, yeah. It's an inherent part of our culture. Yeah. How we, you know, communicate, you know, keep our history and pass that on. Right, yeah. And, you know, you know, in places like Jamaica and Africa and everywhere else, the kids are listening to it, your parents are listening to it, your grandparents are listening to it. Yeah. So it's not a question of choice. Yeah. It's just there, man. It's in your fucking DNA. Yeah, it's in You fun. know, I think what's different in my world is that when... I'm start start listening to it has to be said white radio living in England I'm yeah. hearing sounds drifting in from America I'm tuning into Luxembourg and unlike a lot of people that thought okay you're black you're not supposed to be listening to that I was like no I, this it's touching me it strikes a chord why not yeah you know trust me when I'm walking through Brixton with a Led Zeppelin record under my arm my yeah. brethren are like done let's we're wrong with you blood clot you know yeah and the same thing when punk rock happened that struck a chord caught, caught my imagination and I just ran with it but I know. When did it strike a chord in me, particularly? Man, like I said, being as old as rock and roll, you know, I came up through the whole 68 thing, you know, the the flower power explosion. And my age is something that I embrace because I've actually been touched and informed and inspired by every British subculture since the bloody Teddy Boys. Yeah. And I'm still standing, you know what I mean? right? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and involved and, and and yeah i mean the thing that gets me so it must have been exciting though again you've we've touched upon the the strange conflict of being of 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 jamaican descent but, but being first generation in england so was it then exciting when reggae started to to blow up over it and people like bob marley were coming over and touring and 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 trojan stuff was going off how was that when that became not that it became the pop, but it certainly became a big enough g- genre to not remain in Jamaica, you know? Uh, that's a bloody good question. I mean, the arrival of Bob Marley, I think, yeah, kind of changed the landscape Everything, forever. Right? And I was lucky enough to be at his gig at um, the Lyceum. 
Yeah. Which I have to say is one of these life-changing moments, one of those rare gigs yeah. where I walked out of that gig a new man. Yeah. You know, it has to be said. And then between that and the movie Harder They Come, the brothers just did the rest. Yeah. You know, they kind of captured people's imaginations with the baseline, it has to be said. I mean, I think, you know, we're missing out the fact that Jamaica's gift to the world is the baseline. Yeah. And I, you know, for whatever reason, to this day, I don't know why scientifically that speaks to certain people. I just yeah. believe that, it kind of, I don't know, it connects like-minded people to each other and in turn to the planet. I mean, I'm, I believe that if Earth's got a sound, it's a sound of bass. Yeah, yeah, completely. I was, going, I was just thinking about what you were saying, when, when did music strike a chord? And I think the answer to that question, going back to yeah, yeah. a bit, because it's an important question, is it's, it's when I realised that it wasn't just about dancing, it was for your mind and your feet. Yeah. You know, and it made me start to think. Yeah. You know, people forget there's a lot of, pop music in the 60s that had all this kind of political and social content what i call intelligent pop yeah you know today people use pop like it's a dirty word i love pop music or its potential yeah do you know what i mean and it it has kind of got disgraced in the 21st century but there's a tradition of people that knew how to use that genre to get points across and make you think you know i mean you know obviously some things like maybe james brown say it loud i'm black and i'm proud yeah i cannot tell you how empowering that was for Huge. a young don let's trying to find his feet and yeah. struggling with the duality of being black and british yeah you know young gifted and black i mean they're kind of very obvious tunes yeah. but there were more clever things than that you know i don't know you're not probably not old enough to know good news week and eve of destruction and these kind of know. weird 60s tunes yeah. that are ultimately dealing with very heavy social themes but sugaring the pill. I was going to say that that's the absolute key there. And I think people underrate at times. I talked about this when I had a Will Poulter on, who's in, in a film recently called Detroit. And I was saying how it's, to, it's, it's a film about the Detroit riots. And I say documentaries are one of my favorite things in the world. One of the most important things, but there's a certain audience that a film, an acted film will reach that a documentary won't. That's why it's important to tell these stories in those narratives as well as in documentaries. And it's similar there. You can have a lecture about uh, black heritage and black history, but that won't reach the people who will hear that James Brown song or that, or or these songs. So it's, it's, it's putting it in both. It's having it in depth here, but then in pop culture, in social culture, in film culture, throughout that that spreads that message yeah you're reminding me of a chuck d quote about what was it tracy chapman why she didn't reach black people right and he said yeah it doesn't matter how right righteous the message is if they ain't got a groove they ain't gonna listen yeah yeah completely and and that's perfect and i think i mean it leads perfectly on but you mentioned uh the harder they come and again it feels like just a a wave of good timing because film was you know still a relatively new and exciting thing at that point. So to have a film about reggae, about an artist, about this kind of thing, was, must have been a huge thing then oh, too, man, to get listen, through to people. Let me tell you, before I saw A Harder They Come, I knew what I sounded like, because yeah. we had reggae. But I yeah. didn't know what we were supposed to look like. Yeah. Because the only images we had of black culture back then were like postcards of somebody limbo dancing on a beach or a man riding a donkey with a straw hat sort of colonial images yeah 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 and then harder they come happens i'm talking about 1972 and it was informative and entertaining and inspiring and it was at that moment actually watching harder they come that i decided you know maybe i'd like to express myself in this medium in cinema and film but in the early 70s trust me 
that was a ridiculous idea for a young black man because yeah. it was very much an old boys, an old white boys network. Yeah. And it wasn't until uh, punk rock came along with yeah. the whole DIY thing that, uh, you know, it gave me the idea to pick up a camera and reinvent myself as Don Letts the filmmaker. But it was all through that movie, How Do They Come? And and, and that's one of the things I wanted to uh, to talk about, I made, I made note of, because it was when punk rock happened and you were DJing at these nights and involved in the fashion of it through th- 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 your shop and just, just generally in, in, in the blood of it all that you made the punk rock movie, which was, was, was one of the movies I watched. That you got didn't, me you watched punk. it. I, I, oh, you poor bastard. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, you're kidding. Enjoyed, it was never but, supposed to be a film. But that's the thing I wanted to ask. Cause it's in the days in, in right now where everyone has a film camera in their pocket that has editing, apps on it that's one thing but in 78 particularly for a young black man particularly for a young black man associated to the punk scene to decide to become a documentary filmmaker isn't a snap a snap judgment or a a throwaway thing it must have how did that come about and how did you go from it being oh i'd like to do that to no i'm fucking doing that that's happening oh that's easy i can that's easy man listen when punk exploded it was this energy that you know it you didn't want to be a spectator. It wasn't a spectator sport. Yeah. It was about audience participation. I it's mean, a plaint. That's fine. It's fine. You know, what punk rock, <laughs> punk rock said to me was, hey, you know, if you're young enough and you're brave enough, you can be part of this thing too. Yeah. So I'm looking around me and all my mates, you know, strummers and them guys are picking up guitars and, you know, I wanted to pick up soon, pick yeah. up something too, because the stage was getting full up. But I decided to pick up a Super 8 movie camera. Wow. Which is quite a commitment back then, because I've got to tell you, back in the 70s, right, every three minutes of film costs with processing about 18 quid. That's mad, isn't now, it? Now, I don't know if you can work, I mean, today that's probably like 200 quid for yeah. every three minutes of film that I shot. Yeah. Tell you what, best training I ever had. Yeah. You know, I never went to film school. Mm. I never even read the goddamn manual that came with the camera, I've got to tell yeah. you. But that price... Yeah, that price made me get my shit together. And I think that's a crucial difference now in the 21st century, where we've got this affordable technology and everyone's got access to the means of production. Yeah, but you've got to have a bloody good idea. Yeah, you know, just because you can afford it, man, don't mean you can do it. I mean, I'd argue that you know, art was kind of better when shit cost more. I mean, I know it's a I kind of that. controversial thing to say, no, but I get that because it means it you've is. got to refine your idea. And it, it has is. to be worth it. You know, when Strummer wanted to d- play guitar, he had to beg, borrow and steal to get that guitar. Yeah. And then he had to do the whole thing again to get an amp. Trust me, after you've been through that process, you really want to play a guitar. Yeah. Nowadays, you can buy, what, garage band, I don't know, whatever, Fruity Loops and all this stuff and have a go at this. You can have a go at that. And I'm not, you know, and there's no commitment. You know, the kind of the digital age and affordable technology, you know what it's done? It's taken away, it's kind of removed the pain and the struggle part. And I think, I think the pain and the struggle part is a crucial ingredient of being creative. I couldn't agree more. I've got to be honest. It's slightly different in in my story, but but similar. Because I remember when Kickstarter started coming about and people are doing Kickstarters to record their album and it sat uncomfortably with me because to record my first album i worked in a record store for five years and saved up and i was writing but the plan was saving to release an album so that was my kickstarter and it meant that when i released it i couldn't afford to fail i couldn't afford for it to, it to go wrong it was like well i've spent five years building up to this this has to work there's no option of 
oh, they're not feeling it. I'll do something Forget else. Forget it, I'll do something else. It's like, this. I've got no choice here. This is all or nothing. And I don't think there is that anymore. I've known bands who have had investment off Friends or off Kickstarters or whatever, and their albums come out, and literally a few months later, they've split up because they've gone, oh, the album didn't work out. It's like, what? That, yeah. That's not an option. Right. Why, I mean, why haven't think... you toured it for two years to make it work out? You've... You've you've put the investment there, you know, but it's because it was someone else's money and someone else's investment. Which, again, as you're saying, if you're having to pay twenty quid essentially for three minutes of film, you think it's about be what you've got three doing. Of film. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I love that. So, so h- how was it? I mean, you seem to have a way of, or particularly at that point, have a way of 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 meeting people and and befriending people before the punk scene. I was reading uh, when I was doing a bit of research of. Of of your first encounter and and befriending or befriending Bob Marley, how was that? How how was that as a young man to meet a hero like that and kind of go, all right, it's good to have you over here. I mean, you know, people say friend. I gotta say, he's more of an acquaintance. I mean, yeah. he was living in here. He was living here for a year in 1977 after being shot in Jamaica. He's in exile, yeah. effectively. Yeah. And um, how do I put this uh, diplomatically? I took care of his n- nutritional requirements. Put right. it that way. You right. Know what I mean, I get and, you. We struck up a relationship. I mean, he'd come into the shop and check me out and try and pull my girlfriend. I remember <laughs> taking him to the carnival once and he sent me off to buy some weed. And when I came back, he's trying to chat up my girlfriend. He's a real ladies' man. I mean, Bob, you know, I mean, it's kind of obvious. The guy was charismatic. He was inspiring, empowering. But at the bottom, underneath all of that stuff, he was a man. You know, he was a guy. And I always find that stuff encouraging. I think it's important that we keep people like the Marleys and the Strummers and the Lennons on the ground. We keep them real. We don't put them on pedestals because you do that and they become unattainable. It becomes something that you can't aspire to. Yeah. You know, but then when you realise, well, actually, they got problems just like me, but they've got this creative side that's really interesting, and you don't have to be perfect to come up with interesting shit. Yeah, yeah. To me, that's encouraging. You know? Completely. In 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 my first ever a single, "Thou Shall Always Kill," I had a, a big chunk in the middle that l- list bands and says they're just a band. And a lot. Of oh, people, I remember that. Just a, a band. A, a lot just of a, yeah, nice so, one. Yeah, a, touch with Brethren. A, a lot of people <laughs> just as, a band. saw yeah. that as an yeah. insult, yeah. but that was the exact point I was nice making. One. It came about because I was sitting at home at Christmas. And the new Radiohead album had come out, and everyone was going crazy about them being geniuses, which I agree. I love the guys. I think they're awesome. But I also sat and thought, at this moment, at Christmas, Tom York is sitting around a table with his mum and his dad, and his brother's asking him to pass the potatoes, and he's just another regular human. Yeah. All these bands are just a collection of people who happen to do it, and it happened to work. They're not these deities that we sometimes make them out to be, and that's hugely inspirational and important. That's so, right. yeah, completely- Keeping them real, keeping them real. So, so how was it to be in the punk scene at that point? Obviously, it was political. It was anarchic. It, it was it was the, the I, king of say, anarchy. People say political, but it wasn't that formulated the politics. It was right. kind of street politics. Yeah, politics with a very small p. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I think obviously people like Joe Strummer and later on people like Billy Bragg were yeah. very politicized and literary and well read. But for the most kids, most part, the kids were just trying to come up with something that. Was of you know of the people for the people by the people yeah and they formulated their ideas as that was happening yeah so so it was it was a perfect time to be where you were and who you were right center of the punk rock universe dread couldn't yeah. have been in a bit I wouldn't be sitting in front of you if it wasn't for my encounter if it wasn't for dread meets punk rockers yeah yeah and it, it, again so you you made your first 
documentary and then the- I mean, you keep saying that documentary it's funny i i, I shudder when you say that because everybody <laughs> sees punk rock movie they'll be like what the fuck what happened was i'm filming all the basically i'm trying to get my stuff shit together yeah and i'm filming the bands that kind of are speaking to me i'm filming yeah. the pistols the clash the slits the subway set and then one day i read in nme oh don letts is making a punk rock film oh yeah, yeah. Am I? not a bad idea <laughs> and then i stuck it all together almost with sellotape and I showed it at the ICA and I called it the punk rock movie because that's yeah, what it said in the NME said, yeah. and then while everyone was being preoccupied with that I kind of got my shit together sorry people I can't think of another way to put it no. and um, went on to make music videos I mean I made the first video for Public Image's debut single yeah. Public Image and then I made The Clash's London Calling or, and then went and did all their videos or- that was the thing I, I hadn't really realised about the music videos. And when I was looking last night, I make I make my notes. On the music videos part, I stopped making notes and just did screenshots. Because f- the videos for White Riot, Tommy Gunn, L- 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 London Calling, Rock the Caspar, Sh- Should I Stay or Should I Go? And then Pretenders, Back on the Chain Gang, The Undertones, Eddie Grant, Elvis Costello, Bob Marley. Yeah. B- 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 Big Audio Dynamite, all the way through to Black Grape, in, in the name of the father. I remember that song c- c- coming out when I was at Some school. Some of my favourite videos, working with Black Grape, man, I tell you, they were a trip. So, so, so how was that kind of, again, people could say the right place at the right time, but you have to do the right things in the right place at the right time for that to, 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 to be a thing, right? Pip, you know what you need? You need taste. Yeah, yeah. You have to have good taste. You can yeah. be in all these places at the right time, but if you ain't got taste, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, it's it's the classic story of of that Pistols gig where everyone in the crowd w- went on to be in some some great band. Exactly, yeah. And one of them was Mick Hucknall. So it's that kind yeah. of... Again, it's not just right place at the right time. It's the only influences that you bring from your from what led you to be in that right place at that right time, right? Yeah, it's about being inspired and doing your own thing. Yeah. You know, not just sheepish, sheepishly following. Yeah. So, so how was it doing mu- music videos in the punk scene? Because you'd say in the 80s or 90s, it's when music videos had their ludicrous peak of budget and things like that. I'd imagine that wasn't the case in the punk scene. I'd imagine it was, we're doing a video, are you about? <laughs> you know, yeah, we're, we're going to make it happen. Most of the videos I did were for about 10 grand back then, yeah. which for a middle range, I wasn't one of these superstar doing the, you know, Duran Duran, yeah, yeah, song yeah. of in the ocean kind of thing that yeah. wasn't my thing mine were a bit more real and about the performances initially yeah but eventually i did move up the ladder a bit and made a few videos for like 30 40 50 grand which was a lot of money it's back big then. budgets yeah, yeah, yeah completely yeah. And it wasn't all punk rock i'm you know i'm doing videos for people like the gap band in yeah. america and uh one of my biggest videos in america was for a metal band called rat i did right. a video for this thing called round and round yeah and it, they were on tour with motley crew at the time video comes out blows up while they're touring, and did so well that they had to um, swap the lineup, and the Rat were headlining instead of Motley Crue. Oh wow! You know, and there's the other one I'm really proud of is a uh, Past the Duchy. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, that of was course. a big one for me. It was like number one in about 18 countries, man. Yeah, an absolute tune. Now, this I've, I've, I feel I have to make an embarrassing a confession here because I moan all the time about stuff like like ACD or, or, or Run DMC T-shirts in in H and M. You've never heard Run DMC. I've got a rat T-shirt because it was a cool-looking T-shirt and I like rats. I've not heard rat at all. 
It's, I think it's why I've not worn the T-shirt much, because I feel like a it, fraud wearing it. But it's now, not our thing. But it now I'm going to go and look into it. Now it, I'm going to go and look into it. It's like, no, I've, got no, the, I've got the tick. No, metal ain't my thing. I ain't going to lie. You know, for me, Led Zeppelin and that tick, I'm done. I'm, yeah. You know, yeah. I love. But I happened to be living in LA at the time. It was the 80s, and I was working with this company called Limelight. And what happens is these record companies, they put these, they offer tracks to different production companies, and yeah. you put your hand up. And I had nothing to do that week. And I thought, Amazing. bloody hell, let me have a go at this yeah. metal thing. It ain't my thing, but let me have a go. But the real reason that I wanted to make that video was um, one of the band members was related to an old 50s comedian called uh, Milton Burrell. Right, yeah. Who I was hip to. I'm that old. I remember him from films. And he's yeah. old school Hollywood. These people don't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the main reason I did that video. I just wanted to meet kind of old Hollywood. And he was very that. Yeah. You know, yeah. telling me what to do. And yeah. I gladly let him, you know. Yeah. So, so how was that to jump from, obviously it's not a jump, it's a gradual process, but to go from, you know, young inspired man in London making music videos because you've got an idea to, oh, I'm now... I, I'm essentially a production company. I've got a production company. They've got they've got budgets they're throwing at me. They've got again, the bigger you climb in this industry, the more demands they have, the more specifics they want. In more money, w- more problems. When you would have built your name, it would have been we want Don Let's you you'll have a lot of the idea. Whereas when you get to the bigger places often it's like, here's what we need. How how was that kind of that world uh, to swim in? Uh Easy for me because I didn't like it. Yeah. I didn't like being told what to do. Didn't like when all of a sudden you had stylists and choreographers yeah. contributing to the idea of the video. What's a camel? Huh? What's a camel? Yeah, I, I, I've heard. Um, what did they say? It's a horse designed by committee. Yeah, yeah. And completely. when it all got into that committee <laughs> world, I was out of there. Yeah. After about, I don't know, I think I probably made about 400 videos. Yeah. But I realised it wasn't for me anymore because it wasn't about trying to get an idea out there it was about flogging shit because ultimately they were adverts for yeah. records it's mad but in my it? day you know before the record companies thought they knew how to make them you know i i mean look at rocking the casbah yeah i've got an arab and a jew running around doing all kind of things they shouldn't be doing and breaking yeah. all kinds of taboo you couldn't do that now yeah it's, 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 it's mad how in almost every industry the higher you get, get, get up the more people want to have a say and stuff surely it should be if you've got there they should trust that don letts is going to go and do it not have an a&r person advising this a stylist advising that it's like come on i've got to say i mean i have had somewhat of a charmed life in that you know if i've done 500 things there's only about 10 of them i've done for the money yeah you know what i mean i have yeah, yeah i've dope. i've got to be honest so i can't complain about that and then there's odd times when i've just try to do something take myself out of my comfort zone Four years ago, I made a documentary for Sky Arts about the royal family's photographer. Oh, wow. You know, just because I wanted to see if I could do it. I was yeah. nothing else on the table at the time. I'm like, you know, I'm a filmmaker. I, want, I need to be doing things. And if you are a filmmaker, there's always a reason to put, you know, to turn the camera, man. Yeah, you know. completely. I love it. So, uh, again, doing things that you love for, for the lo- love of them, essentially... How is it when that then turns into a career and turns into like, or for example, it it, it allowed you your first trip to Jamaica? Um, I was I was, I was reading about with John Lydon and 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 Richard Branson. S- suddenly, again, you've grown up feeling this detachment of your heritage, but this vi- vi- vehement loyalty to it. And now, through these weird things that have been going on, your mates are doing stuff, you're doing stuff, everyone's inspired. You're suddenly going out to Jamaica with 
with Branson and, and and Johnny Rotten. No, it's ironic that punk got me back to sort of the reggae heroes that inspired me. I mean, yeah. that was another accident. I mean, I don't know if you know what happened. No, John, really. the pistols um, imploded. Yeah. And John was looking to kind of escape the media madness. Yeah. And went with Richard Branson to help him start a reggae label called Frontline. Right. And John took me along just because I was his mate. Yeah. I wasn't involved in the um, um, signing of artists. And very first time I'd ever been. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and I can't tell you. To this day, it remain, remains the most amazing trip of my life. Because what happens is we check into what was then the Sheraton Hotel. I think it's called the Hilton now. And it's like, it's like the jungle drums have beaten across the island. Yeah. Rich white man on the island signing up, signing up reggae artists. Because <laughs> what happens for the next two weeks, there's this kind of mass exodus of musicians to the hotel trying to get a deal from Richard Branson. Wow. So I'm sitting there and it's Iroy, Uroy, Big Youth, Tardo, Tapazuki, Gladiators, Lee Perry, Heptones, Abbas. I'm talking about every single artist except for Bob Marley, Bunny Whaler and Peter Tosh and Burning Spear. Other than that, I'm sitting there with all these, I have to say, you know, legendary names that I'd only yeah. ever seen before on the back of, like, record labels. Yeah. And I'm surrounded by them all, yeah. every single day. What a trip. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And really eye-opening as well. As well, because, you know, you'd, you'd look at these guys, these records you've been listening to in England, you thought, okay, they're on vinyl, holding their album. They must be living larger Jamaica. And you'd go there and you'd see they were hustling just like you were. You know, yeah. half of them were asking you to buy them drinks and food. And that was a major eye-opener, that you could have this musical impact thousands of miles away, but still be hustling on the streets, man, that's, trying to you know, raise a meal. That's honestly been one of the biggest eye-openers in my career and inspirations to keep, 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 keep working at it all was exactly that. When I started to go to America and gig with people that I used to recommend their CDs to people when I worked in a record store, these are my absolute idols, and now they're my label mates and, and, and my friends. And you're like, oh, again, it's exactly that. Oh, they're all just people. Yeah. You've got in your head that they're these these reggae icons or these rap icons or whatever. It's like, oh, it's, just, it's just another dude doing exactly yeah. what, what you're doing you know, and trying to make it work. It's a hustle, but it's a hustle nevertheless. Yeah. And the thing is, the real pioneers never collect. It's the people that come along after and water it down. They're the ones that make the money. You know? Yeah, yeah, completely. So how was that, though? To, or how did you hold it down in that situation where all these people who are your idols are suddenly in this hotel and they don't know that you're just there because you're Johnny's mate. You know, you're essentially part of this, part of this trip of, of, of the three British people who've come to, and, and again, yeah, there must've been some element of Don knows reggae. Don's Jamaican. Let's talk to Don. (laughs) You know, know, there must've been an influence there as well. Well, they thought I was cool and couldn't figure me out until I opened my mouth. Yeah. And it's like, oh, English man. And then all of a sudden they were interested and also had a camera. Yeah. And having a camera in Jamaica or in the UK at that time was a big deal. Yeah. So they, I was a bit of an anomaly. They couldn't quite figure me out, but they knew I was some kind of conduit to these white guys that could sign them up. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. So so, um, so let's move on to the DJ. And I want to end with the radio DJ because I think the six music is just an essential thing, an essential output. But actually just spinning records it's how we met properly first at best of all for rob the bank and this kind of crowd and then and then get getting you down to my club night and every time you've dj'd for me i've come away with notes of tracks or dubs or whatever else that i need to get my hands on and start playing 
every time I DJ until you come back next and then pretend, no, no, I haven't been, I didn't steal that off yet. Oh, this sounds good, you know. <laughs> and um, But what strikes me is you must love that part of it because that's the one thing that has never stopped, right? In, in filmmaking, there's, it comes Big and goes. Gaps. You're on Big and off. gaps. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. gaps. But with DJing and playing records in clubs, and it's the one that isn't necessarily glamorous, or always, you know, paying amazingly well. You've got to be doing it for the love. So to have been doing it for what, thirty or forty years? Forty years. Forty years. What is it that that draws you back constantly and keeps you in love with that? See, it's interesting you say draws me back because to me, I'm still moving forward. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's and it. You've never left. It's just about the power of culture to bring people together, and. Uh, it, I know it sounds corny, but kind of push things forward. You know, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm all about moving the crowd. I mean, I told everybody now, you know, I ain't a turntablist. I don't beat match. I don't scratch. I'm old school. What yeah. my thing is about is about the selection. Yeah. And my selection kind of reflects the history and legacy of Jamaican music and its yeah. gift to the world, which yeah. is bass. But if you understand the reach of reggae now, because it's, it's become part of the fabric of popular music, Completely. that's got quite a wide span now. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and the other one is I'm not really up for getting a nod from purists, you know, tune, tune in the corner. Yeah. And that's not done, let's either. Me, I'm a sucker for the ladies. Once the girls groove in, then everything else takes care of itself. Yeah. And it's much more uh, satisfying, yeah, to see a young girl whining as opposed to someone, yeah, tune, tune. And, and that's experience. Like, purists are, are right dangerous. There. That's I love your brothers, hold your corner, but purists are dangerous. I get you, because uh, w- w- when I started the club night, I'd say the first two or three sets I did couldn't be further from what I ended up doing, because you realise that the enjoyment that you get is from a dance floor going crazy, not from playing a song that's... Obs- it's good if you can slip songs in, that, and, and again, that's one of the, the beauties of your sets is you'll be playing songs I've never heard in my life and no one in the room has ever heard, but they're still dancing and still moving. It's still all there. But that's very different from just, here's an hour of my obscure songs. Do you know what I mean? It's finding the right place to go, here's, here's, again, here's a Bob Marley song that you will all know and will keep you moving. You know, it's getting that that mixture rather than just... Even though it's a different mix. Yeah, completely. completely. And I don't play requests and I've never played a tune I don't like, whether it be in a club or on my radio show. Uh, I can't play music I don't like. uh, One of the reasons you uh, you will have seen that when you're at my club night, I'm generally standing in the booth the whole time. It's so that I take the requests from people because it's my night and my point is there's some really good pubs with good jukeboxes in Shoreditch. So if you want to have requests, pop to a jukebox and pop on the exact song that you want. Yeah, I've never what under- I'm doing is putting on people who I trust and believe in to be in charge of the playlist, to be in charge of the of the jukebox. So it's kind of, it's why I like to be there to kind of, if it, I, I'll do it as politely as I can, but if people are drunk and not being polite, I'll be clearer on, I will give you a refund if you would like to leave immediately, but yeah. you're not in charge of this. I've, I've never got understood, these people here. I've for, never understood why people want to hear something they're familiar with twice when you can hear something you've never heard once. Yeah, yeah. And that'll be the thing that you want to hear twice. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, it's all got to start somewhere. Yeah, completely. And it, again, it's, it, I, I love it. There's there's um, a Limmy sketch, which I actually absolutely l- l- love, where he's playing a, a radio DJ and someone rings up and, like, and requests a song and they're like, it's my favourite song. And he just goes like, so why... So why don't you just just put it on yourself? 
Like, why are you ringing me? To, if it's your favourite song, you must own it. Yeah, exactly. Just, just go and listen yeah. to it. Leave me alone. Which is a similar yeah, thing, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. if it's your favourite song and you need to hear it, then have a listen on the way home or when you get home. But what's happening right now is a whole room full of people connecting on on, on these vibes. And that's, yeah. and that's the key, right? Yeah, and the other thing about, for me, it's a way of staying... Young's the right word, because I don't actually want to be young. I'm <laughs> I yeah. shudder at the thought. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it keeps my contemporary head on. Because it's a way of kind of musically communicate. To me, it's a two-way thing because people turn me on to shit when I'm out and about as well. Yeah. I get to hear other DJs play and I'm checking what they're doing as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that often, I have to say. Yeah. Because um, I'm very particular. I think ultimately my thing is it's very selfish. Yeah. I have to say it's all about me. If you don't like it, fuck off. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of yeah. a bit like that. That's how, it, again, know? that's how it's I, got to be. At my though. age, I've earned that right. You know? No, I get you. I, it blows my mind when there's a dance floor full of people dancing and someone comes and requests a song. It's like, look, everyone's enjoying what's going on already. Yeah. I, yeah. What what makes you think that you should take the responsibility away from the person who who's who's looking after them? They seem in, in a good spot right now. I understand if the room's died and someone's coming up and going, mate, yeah. you know, that's not ideal. But if that's happened, then that's happened. But it blows my mind when the DJ is killing it and people are like, have you got... Have you got this specific a Beyonce but song? But I can't think of a better way to stay in touch with the people and keep me on my toes, I yeah, have to say. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. So so the other one, a radio DJ, and it's a completely different world, but it's a beautiful one. And, and, and Six mu- Music, I think, is an invaluable place for people who've been entrenched in music for so long to be able to tell their stories through music and tell their stories through words if if, if needed. And it's people like you and, and H- H- Huey Morgan and Tom Robinson and all these people who are from completely different worlds but have got so, have taken in so much. And It's people that are passionate. Yeah, completely. You and, know, it's not a hobby, it's their lives. You know, yeah. it's not a job, it's their lives. I mean, I love doing the Six Music thing. I'm on my 10th year now. Yeah. And I've wow. got to say, it's probably the most honest thing I've ever done in that it doesn't play into the hands of people's perceptions of, you know, Donlet's reggae, Donlet's yeah. rock. I mean, I'm not being funny, but who do you know that listens to one genre of music other than fucking 10-year-olds? Yeah. I mean, come on, yeah. you know. Yeah, completely. And it's funny, people say, oh, Don's show's eclectic. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm sure if I f- go around your house and flick through your records, yeah. it's eclectic. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, completely. Um, I love the Six Music thing because every week, you know, a quarter of my show is um, brand new music. I don't think you can sort of rest on the tried and tested. I think if you're in that position, you're duty bound to seek out and embrace the new. And in the words of Mike Skinner, yeah, push things forward. And that's yeah. the bit I enjoy the most, yeah. is finding new music. Yeah. I mean, I actually think that's the real elixir of life. If you want to stay young, listen to new music. You know, yeah. The minute you, you, you know, you're in that thing, was it, oh, music was better in my day, you're yeah. old. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. You know, and I... Completely... You know, as I sit before you now, I rem- I like to feel that I'm open to all the world has to offer. And that's Chinese music, all right. I'm waiting for the baseline, but, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a rare outlook, man. Because like, so the and the, the other thing is, being a late night, I don't do anything playlisted. Yeah, I've, everything is hand picked. Every single track I play is hand picked. It's perfect. And again, I think that's a, a wise move. When I had my show on XFM, I selected the midnight slot for exactly that reason yeah, I, like, get less money. I want to play what i want to play yeah. and the fact is i think not i think the the days of listening live are dying off a little bit anyway people are going to listen in their own time on 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 iplayer or yeah. whatever else so it's like so where's the big panic over over this amazing slot 
but I don't actually get to choose what I'm playing. Well, fuck that amazing slot. No, no amount of money. No amount of money can I play a bunch of stuff I don't like. You know. Yeah. It's 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 hellish. So, uh, I mean, with my name's all I got, man. Yeah. It's all I got, so I can't mess with that. It's my brand, you know. And again, it's I I love the openness to new music and new developments. What one of the musics. I, I believe the reason I fell in love so easily with hip hop is because of my love of punk as a teen. Because they were both well, music scenes born of the voice of voice in the voiceless. Well, and you know, hip hop was Black America's punk rock. Yeah, completely. But unfortunately, hip hop has become hip hop yeah. now. You know, yeah, in the way that all these things do. Because you know, the underground becomes part of the overground until you have the next backlash. But the Backlash is a little slow coming in the 21st but, but, century. But that's the thing that gets me is people will be. I'll, I don't see anyone complain more about like mumble r- r- rap or whatever else than other rap fans. And in my mind, it's like, it's still rap. So that's cool. You don't have to be into it. But how dope is it that you've got your favourite underground indie rap, but the stuff in the charts is also hip hop? There was a point where hip hop was fighting to get. To get any like, any leg room, it's like the journey of reggae. Yeah, you know the lessons Completely. that people of the, 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 of um, the exper- sonic experiments of hip hop have again informed popular music. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. I I love that 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 you're allowed to not like all genres of music, but it doesn't mean you have to hate on any of them. Do you know what I mean? You can just go, well, that's not that's not for me. But damn, it's cool that. Oh, yeah, that we've no, got the variation no, and, the, I mean, and the width there. I mean, just because I like don't like something don't mean it's no good. Yeah, completely. You know, it just doesn't speak to me. And I think music's a bit like language. You know, just because you don't understand a language don't mean that there isn't something being said. And, hey, everybody needs to talk. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, completely. Well, we're at the hour mark, and that's normally when I start to wrap up, but that's the first time I've had to look at my notes, which shows we're having a good conversation here that I've, I've barely had to glance. I just, just wanted... No, Before we start to wrap up, I wanted to make sure I hadn't hadn't m- missed anything. And two things that are jumping out. Um, 2005 documentary, The Revolution Will Not Be t- Televised, Gil Scott Heron. That's one that I watched and bought and adored. And Gil was just an absolute icon. Um, I, I remember my, if, I, if I was to pick a favourite every gig, it was at, at best of all. And we went on just after or just before Gil. And it was just amazing to know that we'd literally stepping on and off the same stage and it was just before he passed away so so how was that to work on because Gil was as someone who came up in spoken word Gil was one of the people that kind of invented that and invented rap really Godfather of rap No Knock is a rap song No Knock has got that rhythm and that beat and it's rap so 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 how was that to make something or or to make a documentary on on someone like Gil who who just had such an impact but not necessarily had the the mass exposure as such Interesting, because you've kind of taken us full circle back into this thing of meeting artists and realising that they are just people. Yeah. But that was an extreme one, because I have to say it was a very painful process doing that documentary. He was still struggling with his demons. Yeah. And I realised that what I probably should have done was gone, here, here's a bag, put it on the table, let's do the interview. Yeah. And it would have been cool. But what happened was I had to keep, I had to chase him for four days to get him to sit down. Yeah. And then he kept disappearing and coming back. And when he came back, he was in a worse state than when he was there before. Yeah. And it was hard to see this artist that, you know, when I was growing up, he was like the, he was the poster boy for the black is beautiful generation. Yeah. And to see this emaciated guy with no teeth, you know, with this monkey on his back, that was hard, man. 
Yeah. I mean, that was very, very hard. I mean, that's it. He was someone who, if you if you listen to his music, particularly any live recordings, it's weird. It's weird that I was shocked to then hear that he had these troubles because it was always out there. It was something he bled through his lyrics and through his stage conversations and stuff like that. I was going to say that I think the thing that struck me the most is like, oh my God, all those lyrics I've been listening to, they're not observations. They're real. He's been living this shit the whole time. Yeah. You know, Lady Day and all that stuff. You know, he knew exactly what it was talking about. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm doing, for another podcast, I've been having to work on my top five songs that make me cry and Pieces of a Man Pieces by Gil Scott is one that literally every single time it just gets me it's so I remember working in a record store and a Gil Scott CD was on out the back and that song came on and it got from beginning to end and I hadn't moved and I should be at work but it just it, I can't remember a song having such a physical impact on me just the starting the bass line and the keys in the beginning I was like like what's happening and then the song was over and I just had to play it again straight it's away it's funny because you remind me when I said Lady Day I meant Pieces of a Man yeah, but yeah, yeah yeah no yeah it's 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 a it's astounding piece. so uh, uh, the other one we have to at least at least touch upon is 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 Westway Ted World um, The Clash which is Grammy Award winning and that's really important because punk and that kind of extended music video documentary making that wasn't the the world of grammys so you know that really that that that's one that jumped out to me to go and again no one should be doing their art for awards but i also reject the idea that f- fuck awards they mean nothing they do mean nothing it is just but it hey, means something not, it, in an industry if it, you're getting it's that nice to get another recognition and, yeah you know um so yeah i mean the brothers in Brixton were impressed, put it that way. Exactly, but exactly. other than that, it's a doorstop in my house at the moment. And the funny thing about it is when I got that, never worked for a year after, because the theory is, oh, he's got a Grammy now, he's too expensive to work with. Yeah. Funny you should mention that, because I didn't work for a year after getting the Grammy, and the next documentary I made was The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Amazing. Bill Scott. Yeah. Amazing, I love that. So, I mean, I'll wrap things up now. What's ahead? It's, it's such a weird one to ask when so much is behind. But again, you don't. Every time we've talked or interacted, it's not felt like you're anywhere near slowing or taking your foot off off the pedal that you've chosen the pace of. Because again, I wouldn't say you, you've necessarily ever been a speeding down the highway guy. You, you've always gone through this at your own pace at Don Let's Rhythm. Um, well, so- it's slightly dictated by the rhythm of life and living in London. Because yeah. London will kill you, man. London's yeah. an expensive place. People say, "Oh, Don, don't you do a lot of things?" Guess what? You fucking have to in London. You've got a couple of kids. You can't yeah. buy them a yo-yo for Christmas anymore. Yeah. And that me. keeps me on my toes. I mean, my thing is this, is that what keeps me grounded is I think if you can make a living doing something you enjoy, yeah. you're a winner. Yeah. If you can get rich, even better. Yeah. Because you know, I ain't stupid. I'm old school. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting paid for a good idea. Completely. And um, like a lot of creative people, I spend a lot of time hustling it has to be said yeah you know Orson Welles once said you know movie making 90% hustling 10% filmmaking yeah you know and it's a creative hustle but it's a hustle nevertheless yeah but um you know I mean I listen Pip I watch the news every day to kind of keep myself grounded yeah and you kind of see the cards that most people on this planet are dealt Mm -hmm. and you realize that we're blessed 
You know, we're living in the middle of London, we've got electricity, light, choice, food, da da, all the rest of it. Yeah, truly. And, you know, from my perspective, I'm a multi, multi millionaire, not financially. Yeah. But as far as, like I say, if you look at the scale of life and what you could be dealt on this planet. 100%. You know what I mean? It ain't too you've bad. Landed decent. Ain't too shabby. I completely agree. But well, unfortunately, enough is never enough. Yeah. You know, it's something that we don't, we've not got in our society. The idea of enough is, is, is a long gone premise yes. there's always the uh, listen, i'm a victim of it too don't get me wrong you know but i do religion i mean i literally watch news every single day yeah just to get an idea and it like does keep you grounded because yeah. they're but for the grace of god and all that stuff yeah yeah yeah. you yeah, know yeah. i think it's important it's funny you know with all the social media and that you'd think that people would be more emotionally engaged and politically engaged with the planet and a lot of instances they're not no you know it's kind I- of yeah, they're in this kind of weird, was it, social media bubble that's got nothing to do with the real world. I completely agree. I think we've got a problem that social media, where it could have been a tool for great change, it's actually kind I mean, of... It is. No, no, it's, it's, uh, actually, Pip, it's actually a... a yeah, no, Pip, don't get it twisted. It ain't the social media and all the technology, it's people. Yeah. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Technology is great, people are shit. People aren't good at using it. But it's that thing of where it feels like it gives that... It turns that key to give a little release that you can tweet saying, oh, fuck the Tories, and you feel like you've been political. You've not yeah, done anything not to actually See, do anything. It gives you that little, I'm, I'm political, I've, I've had my say. No, you've, you've done a Facebook post. You've not That's gone right. out it's on too the street. It's too easy to tick, or, tick, tick the, what is it, like thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's another thing when, you know, people, they don't have personalities anymore. They've got 50,000 likes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, That's not actually a personality, dude. Yeah, yeah. You know. It's all become a competition, a computer game in the real world. Well, I mean, I talk a lot on the podcast recently about how great it is that we're in a time where because of, because of the shrinking of the world through the internet and social media, how... Anyone in any genre or area can do other things and can branch out and can go here and can go over over there. And it's been great having a you on because you prove that that's always been the fucking case. Just people had to wake up and do it. So, yeah, thank you very much for coming and making the time and having a chat. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Bridget. I hope that was worth your while. Definitely. There we go. That was Don Letts. Um, really pleased to get to sit down with him. As I mentioned in the podcast, although he's a mate and he's someone, you know, I consider a friend and someone I've worked with a bit over the years, he's an icon. <laughs> like, he's a legit icon. So I was really pleased to get to sit down and have some of the conversations that I guess in a way you don't have with your mates. I wouldn't, when he's at the club night, I wouldn't go, so tell me about when you knew Bob Marley and tell me about when you knew the clash and the pistols and all this kind of thing. So that's the cool thing about having a podcast, man, is you get to sit down and go, these are the questions I've always wanted to ask you, but it'd be weird if it wasn't in this scenario. So hope you all enjoyed that. Spread the good word. I'll be back next week. I said, I'm not sure the order I'm going to be putting them out. I'm recording just tons at the moment. So I think I'll probably go Greta Gerwig next week then Rook Bregman the week after. I might even sling some bonus ones in. It's 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 it's, it's going off, ladies and gentlemen. Um, thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. Ta-ta!